Hi there, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to today's episode of the Strategy in Leadership podcast. My name is Anthony Taylor. In this podcast, we interview senior leaders and thought leaders to get their best practices on leading teams, creating and executing strategy, and fostering the culture within an organization that works. My guest today is Carlos Valdez de Pena, who is the managing principal at Corporate Collaboration Resources and the author of Lessons from Mars. Carlos, how are you today? I'm great, great. And how are you? Oh, I'm doing fantastic. Thanks. I'm really excited to have you on the podcast, to have a conversation, and for you to share your experience in the world and industry you might have fallen into uh, with the people uh, <laughs> and our audience. So uh, as a way of getting related, can you tell people a little bit about your background and, and how you got to where you are now? Sure. Well, I, I spent uh, most of the last 18 years, 17 of the last 18 years, working for Mars Incorporated a global consumer packaged goods company, um, best known for products like M&Ms and Snickers, Maltesers, as well, very big in the pet care industry. So Nutro, IMs, pet foods, whiskers, cat foods, and in the food business as well. In North America, primarily, that's Uncle Ben's, but around the world, other products. So big company, 17 years, all that time as an internal organization effectiveness person. And it was during my time at Mars where I... Uh, I had the good fortune to be asked to focus on what would it take to make collaboration better at Mars. And I did research, spent a fair amount of time working with my colleagues. And as one of the outcomes of that was what's now called the Mars Framework for High Performance Collaboration. Upon leaving Mars at the end of 2017, Mars was gracious enough to say, hey, you know, you've developed this. If you want to get out there and continue to use it as you, as you continue to make a living for yourself. We'd love to have you consult back, and we, we're delighted to have you share this knowledge with others. It's the kind of company Mars is. So that's most of my recent career. I was with IBM for a few years before I was at Mars, and before that, a, an external consultant doing um, leadership and leadership development and training. I got that. Awesome. Well, I mean, maybe I'll ask a very direct question. This is, what's the point of collaboration? Why is it worth investing time, money, energy into it? Can't we just go about our business and just, like, you know, keep selling stuff you know, why collaboration in the first place? <laughs> the great thing about that question is people don't often ask it, right? So we, there's an assumption out there that teamwork is a good thing. And you'll see posters on walls and you'll see uh, quotes from famous coaches talking about how important teamwork is. And we treat teamwork and collaboration as, as an attitude or a mindset. Well, in fact, collaboration is just a way to get work done. Now, the key is, not all work requires collaboration, right? Sometimes it's just more efficient to have individuals do what they do well. But there are times we know when a project is so complex, and this is ever more true in, in the world. I was just speaking to some healthcare folks today about how complex it's become delivering care to patients given the, te given the technology and the knowledge that's available to us. You need a team to deliver healthcare. You need collaboration because we live in a world now where we are interconnected, where the technology has enabled all kinds of fascinating capabilities, none of which lie in a single discipline. So it's become more common to walk, work across disciplines, whether you're in healthcare or you're in a, in a candy company, right? So what you got to do is figure out where will collaboration create greater value than just having an individual do it and then focus your efforts on choosing collaboration consciously and figuring out how you want to go about it. So it's just collaboration, just a way to get work done. And that really becomes the foundation of everything I've been doing in this space. That is differentiating collaboration as a 
delivery mechanism versus collaboration as a mindset or, or an attitude. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I hear that collaboration is merely a tool as if you had a machine, yeah. a machine is a good way to, to make things done. Mm -hmm. And if you looked at it a different way, you could use collaboration as a tool to, you know, take advantage of network effects or, or to produce, like, it's like a capital, capital investment in a way. Yeah, it is. And collaboration is more expensive than getting smart individuals who can do this stuff on their own. It's sloppier, right? It's a little messier because it involves human interaction. It's more prone to conflict. It's going to go slower. So it's going to cost more. So you want to make sure that as you think about where it's going to make sense, that that investment will have, um, that investment collaboration will be paying you back. Don't do it unless it creates value. Yeah, absolutely. And I could see it as one of those things, you know, for anybody that sells consulting or information that sometimes it's this innocuous thing that you can't measure. It's like a difference between a machine. It's like, I know exactly what I'm getting with a machine versus yeah. a framework or a tool. Right. So let's say that organizations understand the value of collaboration as a tool and they want to start mm -hmm. moving towards making that happen. Do you have any sort of rules or guidelines or beliefs around collaboration used as a tool and, and what our managers and leaders are listening to, how they might be able to take some of those and implement them right away? Yeah. So step one in this would be stop spending your team development or team building money on the conventional approaches, right? So what are conventional approaches? A few years ago, uh, my brother texted me this video. It was, I was on, getting on an airplane. It was on my iPhone and I could just barely make out. It was a bunch of guys in khakis and polo shirts stomping around and pumping their arms and sticking their tongues out. So I'm fascinated. So I give him a call and he was in London at the time. And he said, you're never going to believe what they're making us do. Well, he was working for a highly specialized software company that had been, been acquired by a larger one. Their division was struggling. And as my brother put it, some genius in higher management decided what they needed was to have their salespeople go through team building. And that was going to help. And so they spent tens of thousands of dollars to fly everybody to London, about 30 people, and two Maori tribesmen from New Zealand who proceeded to teach these 30 salespeople how to do the haka. Have you ever heard of the haka? No, oh, yeah. It's a traditional uh, Maori ceremonial and war dance, right? Mm -hmm. And so in teams of six, they learned the haka and they competed against each other in how well they did the haka and how scary they could be and how good their chant was. And they did this for four hours. And what my brother said to me was, there's so much else we could have done to get more effective in working with each other. And they had us in a ballroom in a hotel in London, mm. small fortune just for that, doing a, a war dance. Nine months later, that division was sold off because they could never turn it around. But so my first advice is, don't spend the money on that kind of team building. Look, that can be fun. And there's nothing wrong with building relationships, but don't pretend it's going to make you a better unit or a better business or a better division. Take it for what it is, build a little, you know, little uh, engagement, right? And some, and some smiles and go have a few beers later, but realize what that can and cannot do for you, right? So first is stop that. I'll continue in a minute, but I, I just want to check, is, that, is there anything you want to ask, ask in addition to this? Because I want to talk about the alternative. <laughs> well, I mean, I could go on the alternative. So as our listeners know, you know, we facilitate strategic planning sessions. And I find that smaller organizations, you know, are, are a little bit more clear because they got to be a little bit tighter with their with their money. And, but I also find the bigger organizations who have 
Mm. We'll call them bigger imaginations. And I don't know if that's tied to their mm. budgets, but they do these things or they suggest these things such as doing this. And it's, you know, as an external practitioner, I'm like, I mean, you want to build this bridge or you want to do a, you want to do a, this fun game. And I'm like, yeah. And there are so many different <laughs> things. They're going to provide you lasting ROI. Like really, like at the end of the day, yeah. that's exactly that, you know, you're investing in your people. So unless you're trying to field a rugby sevens team, you know, for your corporate league, and that's right. going to make a competitive advantage, like maybe you should probably focus on something else like communication skills. But no, other than me going on a rant about uh, that, no, I have nothing else to say. Well, suffice it to say, there's an awful lot of money wasted on team building. And look, some of this was, is based on good social science that was done in the 50s and 60s, right? There is some academic basis for it, but it, the world isn't what it was in the 1950s and 60s. Teams do not look the same as they did, right? So at Mars, every team I'd worked on for the past eight years was in five locations, mm. right? I, somebody in London, somebody in Chicago, somebody in New Jersey, and then somebody in Asia Pacific. A team in the 1950s was all on the same plant floor or all in the same office. So the thinking and the theories that worked for that kind of that reality don't work anymore, right? Mm -hmm. So you need to embrace a different approach. And it's really pretty practical when you get down to it. So where we begin is understanding that collaboration, paradoxically, to get people, achievement-oriented, results-focused people to work together, requires that you pay attention not just to generic team dynamics, but to the individual, what drives individuals, what motivates them. So the big insight in our research was collaboration depends more on understanding individual motivation than it does on understanding group dynamics. That was the big challenge. How do we get, because Mars, like a lot of companies, hires a lot of these results-oriented, action-oriented people who want to get down to it and just get it done, which is great, right? I mean, Mars had some great years while I was there based on that sort of profile for the typical employee. That profile, unfortunately, gets in the way when all collaboration is, is an, a mindset or a word on a poster, that's not nearly enough clarity to get those driven people to choose collaboration as the way to get the work done. They will always default to the most productive approach, which would be getting down to it themselves using the knowledge and the skills they were hired for. So we asked ourselves, how do I engage that person? How do I get that achievement-driven person to think about collaboration. And the, the immediate aha we had was, well, can we make collaboration feel like just another thing to be achieved? Can we connect to that achievement drive that's so prevalent in Mars and many Western-style companies? And the answer was, yeah, we think we can. And this is where it gets down to, so what do you do? So rather than focus, for example, as many team development people do on what stage of development is this team in? Are we forming or are we storming? That's all interesting, but the way teams are today, they're so dynamic, they're in so many different places, understanding a stage of development isn't as useful as saying, okay, let's just pause for a minute. Let's talk about our collaboration as a team. Why does it matter? That's question one. Every manager, every leader should be asking their team. We know we're a team on the org chart. We see all the lines and boxes connected, but how could our collaboration create value over and above the sum of our individual efforts. And I'm going to say that again because it's fundamental. How could our collaboration create value over and above the sum of our individual efforts? 
right? Because you could just have everybody do their thing, and you'd probably get what you wanted, right? If that's how you designed the work and if that's how the strategy was meant to be implemented. But there may be a few critical legs of that strategy that are complex and require multidisciplinary attention and focus. And you want to say, ah, okay. So as a team, in these spaces, our collaboration could add that value. Great. That becomes our big our raison d'etre, our reason for being a team beyond just what the org chart says. So that's the first thing we ask managers to do. Get that. We call it a team purpose. Get a sense of the team's purpose beyond just your functional role. Where will you crowd, where, in what areas could your collaboration add value? Then we get really clear and specific and say, okay, if that's generically where you think your collaboration will add value, what are the specific tasks that require collaboration and which ones don't? So we, we walk them through an exercise and we ask them which specific projects and initiatives require the collaboration of the total team, which ones require collaboration of subsets of the team, and which ones can be done by competent individuals. And it's amazing to me, I was working with a team in, in the retail part of Mars, the ones who run the M&M's stores, and there's one in um, New York and in Las Vegas, and they were trying to both turn their business around and grow by adding new stores in places like Shanghai and, and uh, London. And um, they were overwhelmed. It's a turnaround and it's a growth agenda. How are we going to do it? The moment we stepped back and said, okay, let's just think about this. How are we going to do it question? How much of it is really we? A couple of projects require all of you all the time. And, you know, in order to get done, they require your attention when you're together. Some of these projects, though, are just subsets of you. And other projects can be driven really effectively by some of the very talented people you've got. The real sense of relief they got from that exercise, right? Because all of a sudden, it wasn't we're a good team about everything. No, we need to be a good team about a few strategically important things. So it, from what I yeah. hear out of that process, you know, building strategic plans, you look at the vision, you look at the mission, you look at the strategic priorities, and you sort of said it in your last yeah. sentence, but all you're really taking is explicitly taking out tasks, projects, activities, breaking them up into the, the collaboration, what do we need to do in subsets, what do we need to do individually, and just the act of that actually didn't change the things that needed to be done. All it did was... Yep provide clarity and move it. I say this all the time, moving from implicit to explicit. And it maybe not wasn't even implied there. It was just, okay, now we know. And with that level of clarity, create space for action and, and a reduction of, I guess, fear or concern or apprehension or nervousness in order to move forward. And all you did, you didn't really do anything. I mean, you did, but you just <laughs> broke it down into smaller pieces. So it was manageable for them. Yeah, oh, exactly. It didn't feel overwhelming anymore. And there was another piece of work beyond that where we then staged it and said, okay, of, of these big projects, we do this with three concentric circles. And at the center is the work the total team does. The second ring is the um, subgroups and the outer rings individuals. We said, let's go to the center ring. Of, that, of those pieces of work, which one is the most pressing in the next 30 days, right? Just simply staging them. Which ones do you have 60 to 90 days on and which ones can wait for longer? Mm -hmm. And we did that with each each of these rings, that's just basic project management thinking, right? Mm -hmm. But that level of clarity about collaboration is almost never developed, yeah. right? We, we just, all we had to do was say, that's what's missing here. We call that actually, we have, there are three imperatives. Clarity, which is all about that specificity I've just described, both the why and the what, right? You want these high achieving people to understand why it's worth their effort and what specific 
jobs will help them feel that sense of satisfaction. But all that is meant to drive what we call intentionality, the second of the three imperatives, and that's supported by the third one, which is discipline. So intentionality really just means we're choosing collaboration as the way to get work done, right? What we were seeing at Mars was people were not intentional about collaboration. They had a positive feeling about it, but they weren't choosing it. Why? Mm -hmm. As I explained previously, because it wasn't the easiest way to get the job done. It wasn't the most direct route to results and completion. But turns out, in a rush to get it done, there were all kinds of collaborative opportunities missed. No one had ever stopped and said, where will collaboration really pay off and which work uh, will most benefit from it? And that game changer for, for, for teams at Mars. Okay, so clarity, intentionality, and discipline. And, discipline. And then getting all of that, like the what and the why, uh, the why and the what, and then getting them to choose collaboration. I think that's just such a key word because once you actually make the conscious choice, again, strategy about choices, when you choose it, then it gives you access to are you doing it or are you not doing it? And you know why you're doing right. it and why you're not doing it. Well, so this is a little bit bigger question. So I'm going to see if I can take a macro organizational view because I'm coming up okay. with, you know, people that are coming to talk to me and they're saying, you know, we have our corporate vision. And we have our corporate vision, we, we have our mission, we have our strategic priorities, where we see the gaps are in getting the rest of our second level of leadership and staff bought in and clear on their own action items. So can you use this methodology? Have you used this methodology? You know, having remote product teams and having these giant, I mean, just a huge amount of headcount. But what can a, a senior leader of a company of maybe 300 or 400 people do when they're trying to roll out their strategy and get everybody bought into making this happen? I think the first thing you want to be sure of, and this may seem obvious, but your strategy has got to be articulated in a way that can be easily understood and feels credible to the people deeper, deeper in the organization. So your vision, I mean, I, I have seen it. I've seen it at Mars and I've seen it elsewhere. Visions are almost too lofty. Sometimes they're too lofty and they're like, seriously, really? You want to do that by that year? Or, or other times they're just too practical. They're not inspiring. They don't speak to people. So step one is make sure your strategy and your vision are something people can really grab onto. And it doesn't mean you have to change the strategy necessarily. What it means is you need to lang put language to the strategy that feels right in your culture. Yeah, so people can go, yep, I get that. That feels like a, a sufficient stretch. It feels ambitious and it excites me. Because that's one of the fundamental pieces of clarity, right? This feels like it matters. Mm. We have to be clear about how and why it matters. So that's one thing you have to make sure you have in place. Then I think you're going to want to be using some sort of methodology. I'm sure you've heard of OGSM, any sort of cascading methodology that gives, and, and do I need to, I want to be careful. I've just used an acronym. Do we need to define what OGSM is? I'm not sure how much your listeners will be aware of that or even outside Mars, how well understood it is. Objectives, goals, strategies, and measures. Is that strategies right? and measures. But the idea is that you can pass that along and say, okay, so look, our strategies become your O, your RS becomes your O, our strategy becomes your objectives at the next level down, right? And you add the next level of detail. So you need a cascading methodology. And you, what you need is a process, right? You need, you need to be able to say to people, we're going to give you this. And your job is then figure out what are the actions you need to take that will ladder up to the strategy we created. 
you need a credible, clear strategy. You need a methodology for people to feel like they can take ownership of and create the appropriate actions that support it. Go ahead. And then once you have that take ownership, is that when you can start looking at, once you have those tasks and have those projects, is that when we can start uh, bringing in the right. the uh, coordination and collaboration and clarity and, and all of that together? Right. At that point, once you've got your team aligned with the strategy from above, then you can start to detail out your, your, your strategies column. And I, I'll be honest, this whole approach that, I, that my team and I developed at Mars came out, one of the formative incidents was a, a, a global supply chain team that had created its OGSM. And in the strategies column, for just one geography, there were 57, in quotation marks, priorities. <laughs> 57 priorities, okay? Yeah. And, and I, the team, the team was, I was in this room of 12 people in the North American piece of this business, and they, they were gobsmacked. And I said, well, guys, this is what we got. How do we make sense of this? And this is, was the genesis of this thing. Let's figure out, because when, when they asked their boss which ones are the real priorities, he was like, all 57 of them. Jeez. So we said, what can we do to help this team make sense of this. And that's really where that whole radar screen thing I described started. The good news was a few months later, they got it down to 30 and then they got it down to 15. But you do need that cascaded approach. And then you can begin to to apply this lens of where will collaboration be essential and where will it not be needed? And then who needs to be involved? The other thing I want to add to this is once you've done that, so once you've taken your list of projects, initiatives, et cetera, and determine which ones require collaboration, then you're going to say who has to be involved, right? Is it the total team? Is it two or three of us? Whatever. At that point, you can do something that I think is almost magical. You can begin to build in accountability for collaboration. So old world, you're not a good team player, or you really care about the team. Dealing with teamwork as this mindset or attitude. Now we say, hey, projects one, seven, and five have you and Anthony on them, right? You guys are going to sit down and contract for how you're going to work together on these projects. And that collaboration becomes a point of accountability for it. I'm going to hold you accountable for collaborating effectively. I'll talk to each of you and get feedback for each of you from the other. And it becomes part of your, the performance management system that exists for individuals. You see, the clearer we get about collaboration, the more we can be accountable for it. And that's, so powerful for people. It's no longer just about what's going on in your head or what your intentions are. It's about, are you actually doing what you said you would do around this specific point of collaboration? And it gives managers a marvelous tool for managing their, not just the work, but the, the relationships that need to be productive to get the work done. Yeah, absolutely. And if we maybe took one step further into that, and this is maybe more of a a how question, but in terms of keeping that accountability or managing or monitoring those, those tasks, what did you use at Mars? What do you see is, is done in, in organizations that is successful that way to, to keep that accountability? Because it's one thing to say, you know, I make a promise and it's another one to say, well, at a quarterly milestone, we're going to check in. And and did you do these 10 things you said you were going to do, but what have you seen works? Well, what we, what we encourage managers to do, because Mars uses a rather traditional performance management system. It's, it's web-based, right? But everybody signs up for objectives for the year. Yeah? Yeah. And what we encourage people to do is not so look at your collaborative map. Look at the places where you need to collaborate. Look at the, the couple that you think are the most impactful and 
do the contracting I've just described, sit down, have a little back and forth of this project, which bits will you own, which bits will I own, what commitments am I making to you? And oh, by the way, you can also get into some of the personality-related stuff. People love to do their Myers-Briggs or the disk profile. You can begin to bring that in, too, and say, I'm this type, you're that type, let's talk about how that might play in. But park that for a second. So we then encourage them to take the two or three most impactful points of collaboration and pull a couple of commitments out of there that they can plug into their individual performance management plan. So just as I might be held responsible for leading the successful completion of Project A, I'll also be held accountable for the quality of my collaboration and particularly for this commitment I made to you. And that's going to get plugged in. And you're the source of feedback for that, right? So it's not just me saying so. You're going to say, yep, he did it or no, he didn't. That's how we do it. We use, I encourage companies that use traditional performance management systems to get so crystal clear about the elements of the collaboration, you know, who's involved, what the work is, what the commitments are, that you can write in a smart objective related to that collaborative commitment. But Carlos, it sounds like it takes a lot of time. At first, it does. So remember, part, one of the things I like to tell people is to collaborate better, collaborate less on the things that matter most. All the technology that's on our desk now, people can walk up to you and they can, again, I'll put it in quotation marks, they can collaborate with you at the drop of a hat in an open office environment where you've got Skype on all the time, you've got a cell phone in your pocket, you're, you're always within reach. And so people are rightly concerned about the tendency to overconnect. I wouldn't even really call it collaboration, although authors have given it that title. This overconnection can really wear on you. So now we're saying stop and ask yourself, what are the few things that really do require collaboration? And put your energies into those. Hmm. So this is, this is the upside of this. So yeah, it could be a lot of work if you felt you had to do it, if every single task had collaboration associated with it and all had to be mapped and accountabilities had to be assigned. No. Whittle it down. What are the few things that matter most where collaboration is going to make the biggest difference? And put your effort there. Then... Another gift of time arises when you say, ah, now our meetings, our meetings only have to be about the work that we all actually share. Mm. We're not going to sit around the table anymore and just talk about, well, here's what I'm doing and here's what I'm doing. That's interesting, but boy, that gets old fast, right? Meetings become about getting together to co-create in those few places where we decided that kind of co-creation would create value and an ROI. So meetings get shorter. They become less frequent. I had one finance team I worked with in the Mars's pet care division that went from meeting every month. This is a finance team, right? They're watching those numbers like hawks. They went from meeting every month to every two months because they realized they could report the numbers by individuals doing their various jobs, right? Individuals responsible for those reports could pull them together, feed them up to the management team. The stuff they needed to do together was longer term and they only needed to meet every other month. Hmm. So, um, Yes, it can be a lot of work. And look, when you're learning anything, it feels like a lot of work, right? This, until this becomes a habit for a group, it'll feel somewhat awkward. So what we encourage teams to do, by the way, this is all in the book. I, the, the book tells the story of how this came about, and then it goes into a very practical explanation of what each of the practices, we call them, of HPC are. You make it bite-sized, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you don't sit down and over five days try to do it all. We do two or three hours on this day. We begin the, I, answering the question, why? We park that, 
Then we come back a little later and say, now let's make sure we get this what question answered, which are the projects and initiatives that we need to collaborate on. You, you want to do those relatively close to each other so you can feed this into the way you're managing your work. Uh, but then you can spread out some of this contracting. It can happen outside the room. It can happen in subgroups. We get together and make your agreements with each other at any time they want. They don't need to wait for a meeting. So that's another way to manage the, the potential impact is to spread it out and take it in manageable chunks. Got it. So if you're looking for a way to have shorter and less frequent meetings, in addition to high performance, uh, collaboration is a way for you. And also go buy Carlos's book, Lessons from Mars. Uh, <laughs> yes. I have no, I, I can, I can plug your book. I have no shame in doing that. So, uh, really excited <laughs> for that. You. My pleasure, Carlos. Carlos, how can, uh, how can people get a hold of you? Right. Well, uh, you can visit my website at corporatecollaboration.com. And you can uh, drop us a line there. There's also a book website, LessonsFromMars.net, where you can connect with us. I think those are the two easiest ways to do that. And I look forward to hearing from anybody. This is a passion of mine, and I have a few colleagues working with me. And we think it's time for a revolution in, uh, in the way team building gets done. And um, we'd love to talk to you if you're interested in seeing things change. And no more hakas, at least in the boardroom. No more, no more hawkers. I have to say, I got a little heat for that one from my brother when I put it into the book. Too good a story. I hope not. I, I don't, no, I'll tell him to leave you alone. Okay, perfect. Thank you so much, Carlos. It's been such a pleasure chatting with you, and thank you for sharing with our listeners today. Oh, thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure. Ladies and gentlemen, I've been chatting with Carlos Valdez de Pena, who is the uh, managing partner at Corporate Collaboration Resources and the author of Lessons from Mars, How One Global Company Cracked the Code on High-Performance Collaboration and Teamwork. This has been the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. My name is Anthony Taylor. Thank you so much for joining us, and until next time. If you're getting ready to lead the strategic planning process yourself, be sure to check out our strategic planning toolkit. It has video walkthroughs to guide you through each step in the planning process from vision to action planning. We'll also have workbooks and downloads to document your plan and best practices to help get your team bought in so the plan gets executed successfully. You can get instant access to all the tools, all the templates, and all the downloads at smestrategy.net slash course.